You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 37 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I hope you got your floaties on because at this point, the world is covered in water. <laughs> as we discovered as we discovered last episode but before you put on those floaties before you inflate them go ahead and do what's really important and subscribe to the better than fiction bible podcast whatever platform you're listening some of you i know are listening on overcast some of you on spotify itunes um if it's uh, itunes hit subscribe spotify follow overcast hit subscribe and that way you always get an alert every time we release a new episode every tuesday morning and with that being said gentlemen where, where are we going today? It's gotten awfully wet out there. We're actually not going anywhere. We're staying on the ark uh, since the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Mm. That's, um, that's verse 24, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Is that what we're doing? That's our text right. for today. Take Can it. I make a segue, Pon? <laughs> oh, absolutely, Nathan. The irony is we're talking about a worldwide flood, and yet we've left a lot of material uncovered. Uh, uh, you know what? Th- was that funnier that actually, in my head? That was funnier in my head. That yeah, happens. no, it was good. good. It was good. Which that does that does have bring some questions to mind. But because it's only one verse and it's a short verse, I'm going to go ahead and opportunistically volunteer to read today. What, what a hero! What, what, <laughs> after I read, like, after Nathan I read, read like, an entire chapter, I read like 40 verses last week. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is uh, chapter seven, verse 24. As always, from the English Standard Version. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So I want to ask a question. What's really happening here? Like, let's let's get below the surface. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you what do you mean? What's really happening here? I would yeah, I'm assume. just I don't I don't want to overthink this. This is not a podcast episode where we're going to talk about the 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 deep and hidden meaning of the waters prevailing on the earth 150 days. Uh, it's rather, we're just kind of taking a pause to, to deal with some other issues. Well, I'm going to say that the, the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. I'm just going to say that means it, the whole thing was water, the whole globe. It was a ball of water, 150 ball days of water. That's yep. what I'm going to take a stab at. Mm. Wait, um, when, so when you ask what's happening, are you asking like local flood, worldwide flood? Oh, uh, that actually like, that actually brings me to what I was going to ask. Okay, because we we're we've been going pretty straightforward through chapter six and seven, talking about the flood, and it seems like we've almost skipped a lot of the like the mainstay topics, such as, um, well, like for instance, uh, you know, shout shout out to uh, Miss Edwina, sixth grade Sunday school, uh, me asking her the the hard question: How did all the animals fit on the ark? We didn't even talk about that. We okay. didn't talk about whether or not the flood was global or if it was localized, because I know there's people that hold to different views on that. Um, there's a lot of, lot of stuff we didn't, we didn't talk about there. And so I'm just wondering, you know, 
interesting What's going on here What's i'm really glad i'm really glad matt's choosing? here yeah <laughs> <laughs> interesting the language you chose like when you said, hey, the main stuff, or what'd you say, mainstay? The mainstays, yeah. Like the I, mainstay I caught that too. Like the big questions. And I, Gandalf, I think. Yeah, for, forget about all those checkoff gun things. I want to know the real, <laughs> the real We things. want to know the real stuff. G- Gandalf represents about- hundreds of listeners who are saying, Okay, I've checked with you. Please just answer my questions now. Yes. And we haven't even <laughs> talked about dinosaurs. I mean, so, come on. So my experience in growing up in church is that whenever we had a, a, a Bible study special weekend or something like that, and a special speaker come in to teach Genesis, it was always a scientist. Always. It was always someone who, let me tell you what's really happening here. And I'm not saying scientists don't have anything to offer when it comes to teaching the Bible, but... I think maybe that's not the way this was written. And for some reason, it's been my experience that when we talk about the things like the flood, that we don't really talk about Jesus (laughs) and we talk about water limits and areas of floods and how there are seashells up on mountaintops and whatnot. Like I've heard that one a lot in church uh, of like, Hey, well, we know the water covered the whole earth because they found seashells on top of mountains and that's beside the point that like the way mountains come out of the seas and even the biblical text talk about talks about that but it's just it's just interesting to me the way this passage has been navigated so much nice pun Uh, with navigation by the way yeah that's That's right because noah had no idea where he was going (laughs) but did it matter did it matter? Yeah, but Matt, you like you you hit on something. Gandalf hit on something. Um, when we come to Genesis one through eleven as as a whole, but this is definitely one of those key stories uh, for which that dynamic is true. We want stuff that's described earlier to gel with what we came to know later, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, here's our scientific knowledge. How does that fit with ancient revelation about the flood? And so, like, I don't want to sidestep uh, this stuff. On, on local flood versus worldwide flood, I, I would probably go back to the fact that everyone has this story and they're not all close together. Right. Um, so, and and everyone everyone seems to think this was a really big deal across right. across cultures and times and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, we talked so, about the Choctaws. Yeah, so, Choctaws making rafts out here. This is this is not like 2021's increased chance of rains. Like we're we're all getting a little extra rain this year it seems. That's not what seems to be going on in Genesis 6 through 9. Um, as to dinosaurs on the ark, you you have people who feel that all sorts of ways. Some people would say um I want to, I, by the way, take a moment here because we do have people that listen up in the Northwest that have not had rain at all. Oh, <laughs> we touche. see you and we hear you. Touche. You can have the some world of ours. does not revolve around the Southeast. And I, yeah, so, I didn't mean to be. I didn't mean to be flippant about y'all's drought either. I just yeah. I was ignorant. <laughs> That's um, all good. But any, but anyway, you know, people talk about dinosaurs and they say, well, technically Noah only had to have. Uh, two kind of, uh, you know, uh, two of each kind. And so they say whether that's reptilian or whether it's, you know, the small chicken-sized dinosaurs, it's not, you know, two T-Rex, two brachiosaurs. I don't know how to make some of the dinosaur names plural. And so I don't want to, you know, show my ignorance even further. Brachiosauri? Yeah, bro- <laughs> yeah that's it. Um, I, I, I don't know. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't want to dodge that, but I, but I would also push back against that a little bit and say we're not dodging those questions. We're dealing with the story as it was revealed. Like, in well, other words, we're, so, we're trying to do justice to the details in the text. And one of the details in the text that's so interesting to me is to this point in Scripture, we have more, de- even than we had in creation, we have more details on the timeline of the flood events in terms of when they got on and what happened when and how long it endured. We have measurements on the size of the ark. And yet nowhere does it think to say, and man, when things got on there, boy, was it crowded. Um, you know, right. standing room only. Um, that's so it, it seems to suggest that some of our points may not be the point. Right. I like to think of um, the Ark as being like the TARDIS from Doctor Who, where it's it's bigger on the inside. So shout out to my Doctor Who fans. <laughs> or you, you could go to uh, uh, the last battle in the Chronicle of Narnia series, you know, the further up and further in. Uh, oh, the yeah. further in, the higher up in heaven you go, the the larger it gets. I, I love that image. Mm. Oh, I I got one for you. Nathan talked about wanting to, to gel what we already know with what's being written here, even though that's at the beginning of the story. That's uh, exactly like, and it reminds me of the prequel Star Wars trilogies, because they cut they were released after the original trilogy, so they spend the entire time trying to like justify how things were happening. Oh, in the okay. original 1970s movies, even when it doesn't make any sense, they're trying to like ha- make every character relate to each other and things mm. like that. This That's is, what it this me is of. but there is an idea that Matt introduced into the podcast. And if you listen to last week's episode, because I want you to listen to more than one. Um, if you listen to last week's episode, I was, I was, I was like, no, Matt, don't go there yet. Uh, Cause Matt kept <laughs> saying, Hey, here's language that we're hearing in the flood story that actually sounds similar to language we'll be hearing in the Exodus story. Again, a point that we've made in several episodes, I think Matt introduced it into the podcast podcast first, is that again, the Noah story happens long before the Exodus, but traditionally the author of the first five books of the Bible is Moses. And so when God is revealing, again, you've got eternity past to about 2100 BC, and, you, and that's given 11 chapters in the entire Bible. The rest of the Bible doesn't come close to covering that time span. Nathan, um, you know what this reminds me of? Um, I don't remember even the name of the book, but it was uh, a Southern Baptist that was, uh, somebody gave me some old books years ago. If it uh, doesn't have pictures, I haven't read it. <laughs> that, now I know that's not true, but it was uh, one of the things, blessings of being a pastor is that people give you books. That's right. Um, <laughs> they do. And uh, this is one I got years ago, and it was regarding uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And it was interesting how the guy, and he was a Southern Baptist minister, was telling the story about the prodigal rebe- prodigal's rebellion. And the way he was telling the story, you could tell that, oh, this book was written during civil rights. Because the way he's writing about it, and this particular author, unfortunately, had a very negative opinion of civil rights. And he is... In that case, no, I have not read that book. Well, but... <laughs> but it, I, no, I did call and read you. I read you a little section of it. Oh, I did said, you? Listen to this. Uh, and you agree. I, well, it doesn't I matter pay. now, but you agreed with me. Uh, you said, yeah, clearly he's talking. I agree more. with civil rights though. Yes, <laughs> I know. 
Oh, you are. You're talking about. Oh, yeah, gotcha. You're talking about. Yeah, uh, I was agreeing at like here's what he's doing rhetorically. Okay. Yeah, I was just saying that. Hey, reading. I was this like, story, I'm not signing talking. off on this. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, this is a really good illustration. Matt's about to do here, so bear with it. <laughs> uh, but the point was, is that reading his book that was supposed to be on the prodigal son, I realized he was using it to jab at his negative opinions of civil rights, and he was likening the prodigal to the modern protesters during the civil rights movement because he kept talking about marches and things like that. And I was thinking, what? The, the prodigal didn't go on marches. But you're, it, that's it. My, you're, re- you're reading one thing that's really about something else. Exactly. And, and what I'm saying, this reminds me of that because Moses is living the Exodus. So as he's writing this, he's he's writing this as he's living the Exodus. That's it. So uh, it, it makes sense that Noah is talking, or that, that Moses is writing about waters as a means of salvation. That it would be hot on his mind. Is that right? That yeah, correct? that's yeah. it. Well, and that's and, good. and so and so again, and this this hits an interesting irony for me. Um, the dilemma we often feel as people who want to be faithful to Scripture is again is is we we feel this pressure to make scripture compatible with science. And 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 on the one hand I get that. So we want anything revealed in the past to be compatible with knowledge that we did not come to understand until the present. But for the biblical writers that's not the future knowledge that they were building toward. So Often when we, we get this information that was revealed in the past to biblical authors, we want to make it compatible with scientific knowledge that we have gained in the present. So um, we feel real pressure on this, and on, that does make sense. We, you know, we, want to, uh, we want to take information and you know, file it away in worldview categories we already have. But we have to remember that the biblical writers were not looking forward to the scientific revolution. They were looking forward, uh, again, in Moses' day, to the liberation of his people from bondage in Egypt. And so when he's reading the flood story, he's building on, let's look at how God was working then and show how that applies. And man, when you read about a God who's sovereign over wind and waves and Pharaoh's army is chasing you, that's a very different scenario. And uh, before we started recording, Matt, I'm going to let you, I'm going to kick to you on this. Uh, we see how the New Testament writers use this, and again, for them, it's not. Let's not make this compatible with, you know, uh, paleontology. For them, it's let's show how this is setting the stage for what God will do in Christ. Yeah, uh, you're referencing what I was talking about out of First Peter. Yeah, exactly. So First Peter chapter three, at the end of it, when verse number 21, but let me back up to verse 20. It says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's amazing to me that when Peter is looking at Genesis, he is actually seeing Jesus. (laughs) He's seeing it 
but not in an explicit way, but in a typological way. And it's frankly how other parts of the New Testament describes the salvation moment at the Red Sea, people coming through the waters and emerging as a new people on the other side. So the way Peter reads this story is not about water level. Rather, it is a theological point. And it's so we could yeah, say, I, well, it's just because Peter, you know, didn't have modern scientific understanding, because if he did, you know, he would probably talk about those things. I'm actually going to disagree there. I think if St. Peter wrote this thing in the 21st century as opposed to the first century, it he still would wouldn't still be about dinosaurs. Be talking about Jesus. <laughs> That's not, right. Not about dinosaurs. And let's let's not act like that the people in Jesus' day were idiots. I mean, Aristophanes had already like calculated the Earth's circumference by this point, by the time Peter's oh, writing yeah. this, to like within 300 feet using two sticks. We so always it's not like they were idiots. Underestimate the ancients always. Mm. Unless, unless we're philosophers, and then we like to quote them liberally. <laughs> so I actually said this quote beforehand, and Gandalf, you said, hey, we, we need to remember this one. And I think it's what we do here with the flood, is we've all heard the expression, don't miss the, you know, missing the forest for the trees. So I think that sometimes when we read this text, and we focus on the flood of Genesis, we are doing a kind of worrying about the kind of paint and the paintbrush that the old master used, and we're missing the painting in front of us. We're more concerned with the method of Leonardo da Vinci than we are with the Mona Lisa. And I I think there is something to the method and that it's there, but... Leonardo did not paint the Mona Lisa to show off his method. He painted the Mona Lisa to show off this woman that we don't know who is and who she is in history. That that was the point. Yeah. So, so it, you're saying we're, we're missing we're missing the flood for the raindrops. <laughs> yeah, that that works. That's good. Yeah. So it reminds me of um, there's a famous uh, like he's done TED talks. He's he's they tuck him into sitcoms. He's a famous, like they call him the gentleman thief, pickpocketer, or whatever. His name's Apollo Robbins. You guys have seen him? Yes, he's got a great TED Talk I've seen. Yeah, so he he, he steals people blind in broad daylight. Um, and, he, and he shows, like he does a deconstruction, like here's how pickpocketing works. Uh, and so he, he brings someone on stage. He says, is it all right with you if, if, I, if I rob you blind while I talk to you? And they're like, yeah, sure, but I'm paying attention. There's no way you're going to rob me. And then he proceeds to rob them blind while he talks to them. And he talks about pickpocketing is not this smooth sleight of hand thing. It's, it's In other words, it's not um, the slightest of touches. It's actually done by sensory overload. Um, you, you give so much attention to so many things that your brain can't manage those signals all at once. And he, just, he gets... Uh, so much misdirection getting you to focus on the wrong thing that you miss and you cannot pay attention to the thing you're trying to pay attention uh, while he's robbing you blind. And he makes this point, uh, Gandalf, you said you saw the TED Talk, right? Yes. He makes this point at an even deeper level in the TED Talk because everyone's watching this TED Talk and and you're laughing uh, as he robs this guy blind 
and everyone watching him rob this guy blind doesn't realize that they're so focused on that that they're missing him do a wardrobe change and it does, and they, you don't even realize it till the on end and himself. you're like yeah and you realize oh my gosh I'm the dummy <laughs> right um and and so we tend to come to passages like the flood and we give so much and again I get it I, I absolutely get it but we give so much attention to our questions that I fear sometimes we miss their focal point. Um, and, you know, in, in, in the day of, of Moses, to whom this is, you know, initially revealed, this looks very different if, you, if you're about to go through the Sea of Reeds or if you've just come out on the other side and you saw God, just as in creation, divide the water for you and then let the water come crashing over Pharaoh and his army, right? Um, and, this, and this looks different uh, uh, if you're Peter, and, and you're showing how what God did with Noah and the, and the people who trusted in his word in that day, despite all evidence to the contrary, um, really sets the stage for what God would do uh, in Christ, especially when, when you're writing to a people who are trying to be faithful to Christ and, and are experiencing varying levels of persecution or maybe being socially ostracized because of that. Hey, God, God knows what he's doing. Remember how he handles the waters, right? Mm. That's good, and that and, that for them is so much bigger than our our dinosaur and and extent of the flood questions. I think. right, and and by the way, our 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 questions about dinosaurs can't even remain the same. Uh, did you for you know for the longest time the brontosaurus had been said that it was he never existed. Uh, I read an article, I believe it was in the Atlantic this week, saying the brontosaurus is back, back. Uh, he existed after all. So, I mean, just in I thought lifetime, right now, yeah, I thought right now the big discussion is whether or not dinosaurs had feathers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But and I'm just saying. totally messes up Jurassic Park for me. If you're about to say anything that challenges Jurassic Park, I'm out of this project. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is we've it talked down. before about typology. Reverend Powell, my dear Reverend Powell, welcome to <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked before about typology. So why don't we do just like a brief little exercise? Uh, I can get it started. Nathan, Gandalf, you all can continue because we've all contributed to different points on this of how the typology of what takes place in the flood reaches backward and forward. Uh, So like, for instance, when we think of the flood, the, the waters collapsing on creation and then leaving a wilderness behind that takes us back to Genesis one, that the earth had been reduced to formlessness and there being void. But then shortly thereafter, as recreation takes place, well, Noah plants a garden. Well, it wasn't God that planted the garden like he did in Eden, but still here we are after recreation, we're mimicking what's taking place in Eden, going into a wilderness, and then ultimately heading to a place of paradise. And that's exactly what took place in, in Genesis 1. And and Nathan, as you were describing before, and why don't you walk us through it, how does that how does that also not just have typology typology going backward to Genesis 1? How do we see that in the Exodus? Yeah, in the Exodus, God is leading them out of Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. To yeah. to a mountain 
Mount Sinai, right. where he right. will reveal things to them, as you have in Genesis 1 and the flood story. And then on the other side of that, he's going to take them through a wilderness, and he and he wants to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. At the end of a Joshua, garden, he a says, new garden. that's it. He says, I, I gave you cities that you did not build to live in and vineyards that you did not plant to eat from. That's pretty Eden-esque, right? So, so why, Gandalf, here would be a question. Okay. If if Moses is writing this thing and he's tying this obviously this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit but he is tying this old story into their current story what is he trying to communicate to the Israelites about who they are if he's nice. dipping into the old stuff of who Adam was and who the line of Adam represented and what they accomplished. What is he trying to communicate to them by showing them the typology? Uh, he's showing them that this is not the first time that God has preserved. Hey, listen, you are the new people of God. Yeah. Wow. Well, I even, I even think of Isaiah, you know, during the, uh, you know, Isaiah 1 through, 39, 1 through 39 really focuses on the coming judgment and exile on God's people as a whole. So this is not just until they get to the promised land. This is even when they're about to lose the promised land, right? Uh, and then you have um, you have new Exodus imagery used in Isaiah 40. I think of Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the waves, they will not overcome you, right? Um, this, this is hearkening back. And it's interesting because the New Testament picks up these passages. Isaiah 40 uh, is alluded to in at least three of the four Gospels, maybe all four. I, I know it's at least three of the uh, four Gospels allude to Isaiah 40 in presenting the ministry of Jesus. By the way, how does Jesus begin his public ministry? He's baptized. baptized. <laughs> and then he goes and then, goes and then he the goes wilderness. into the wilderness and then he's tempted on a mountain. Right. Mm. This um, goes deeper than we thought. Oh, yeah, and it goes so, all the way to the top. So I, I, I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I'm saying. It, it very explicitly pay attention. In other words, pay attention to the details, not only that we have, but the details that keep coming up um, because there might be something more important, not less important than the question that you started with. Does that mean, is it's that like fair? You all, it's all like you always say, Nathan, it's all, it's always more, not less. Yeah. Right. And, and, and Matt, Matt said it uh, very well earlier in the episode. If, if Peter were writing today, he would still show how this points to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really think that's the crux of it. Um, huh. uh, if Peter were writing today, he would still be showing how it points to Jesus. And, and same thing for Moses. <laughs> and so uh, just to throw something in here at the end, we're not suggesting that you need to throw creation science out the window or that it's not profitable at all. We're just saying, hey, even if that's your thing, don't miss the main point, which we know because the New Testament writers and Old Testament writers alike affirm this. The main thing is how this points to salvation and ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. The other stuff is important, but it ain't the main thing. Yeah. So mm. my, my dad, when I was a kid, he took us to battlefields um, and we spent like three days at Gettysburg. And so on the one hand, there's like there are modern paths and roads around these things as, you know, historical sites. Um, but the, the irony is these 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 modern paths and roads that you can use to drive around in your car 
don't directly match up with what happened, right? If you want to, if you want to mm. see Pickett's charge, don't pull over to the road marker and you know drive around the field. Rerun Pickett's charge, you know, hit that hit hit that on the jog, and, and I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You you can come at this from so many angles. You can drive around it, but if you experience it in real time, you often see focal points that we're tempted to overlook because we come with different questions than they did. I think. Good word. What? It is a good word. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Uh, if you would like to continue hearing us and joining in, in in these conversations of these stories, then I encourage you to do um, two of two things. First, subscribe to our podcast, like I talked about at the beginning. Like, subscribe, whatever that looks like. And then second, if you have questions or comments, concerns, whatever, uh, leave us a message at our website, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com, and we will see you next week. See you later. Shalom. I was thinking just Owen Wilson in general. Oh, wow. Wow.